Hey listeners, it's Sebastian here. Um, before we get into this episode, I just want to let you guys know that uh, Ilium VR is going to be exhibiting our newest products at the World's Fair Nano in New York City later this summer. So this is an event on September 16th and the 17th at the Brooklyn Expo Center. There's a lot of really cool stuff that's going to be there. There's going to be some virtual reality, consumer robotics, food from the future, and some great talks by some great people in the uh, innovating in the industry today. Um, for all of you good listeners who are local to the Northeast, this is a, an event you definitely want to go to. So you can use our special discount code we have. It's Ilium15. That's I-L-I-U-M-1-5. And that'll give you about 15% off on your tickets when you go to WFNano.com. All right. Welcome back to the Killing Adjuster podcast. This is episode seven, I think, somewhere around there. Um, today we're talking about arcades, VR arcades, uh, out-of-home entertainment places. Let's talk about some of the, I guess, most important things you want to consider um, with arcades as far as experiences and, and how you run that business um, and kind of what place arcades have now with growing the VR industry for consumers. Yeah, I think that's a, a um, pretty good point that it, you know, kind of point to there is that Arcades are important into growing the, the, the VR industry in general, in the same way that arcades were important for growing the video game industry. Um, and so, you know, one of the big problems that we have in the industry now is that uh, to get into VR, you have to both have a good amount of money and, you know, a decent amount of expertise. You don't have to be right. like an expert in computers, but you do have to, like, there are so many options of headsets right now and with those headsets you've got so many options of computers do you build your own computer that you need technical skill for um do you buy a computer um that's built specifically to do vr ready stuff which one do you buy right there are dozens of companies and dozens of, of models of things that are vr ready at this point so it's like super fragmentation whereas like the xbox right you just go go to best buy and you buy an xbox mm-hmm. that's all you think about you just, you're like oh i want these games and i, I want the xbox and then that's it. Um, same thing with all those other consoles. So I think that's a, a big problem with the consumer side of virtual reality right now is that you know bit of fragmentation that we have. PSVR is solving that. Um, so a lot of these people who don't have money for to, to either buy the experiences or um, you know the arcade has such a better experience there that you know it doesn't make sense for in-home for someone to buy it. I mean, what makes it better, though, right? Because right now, a lot of the arcades, at least that we work with, their setups aren't that dissimilar from from your normal consumer setup, right? I mean, they've got a couple Vive setups. I mean, they have more of it, right? They can scale. Um, and they've got sort of the play space down, which a lot of people can't get in, say, your living room or your bedroom or you know wherever you're playing at home. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think that there are, right now there are two main things about it. One is um, the fact that a lot of people just don't have virtual reality. So this is people dipping their toes into it, being able to you know, go out and get an experience like that and figure out if it's something they want. And maybe it's something that they don't want in 2017, but it's something they want in 2022 or whatever, sure. whatever, whenever, that, um, whenever it makes sense for them to want to buy it. But uh, the other big thing is that a lot of these um, places have multiplayer games, right? Mm. Like you may have a Vive. But it doesn't mean that you have two vibes. Or your friends have a vibe. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It, so if you want to get that experience where you can have everybody play these multiplayer games, um, an arcade is one of the only places to do it at this point if, when you're talking about personal, in-person friends that you have as opposed to like online people that you meet that happen yeah. to have, have an Oculus or a Vive or whatever. 
that point. So I think that's a, that's a big part of it right now. In that's, the longer term, you're going to be looking at um, just them having better equipment, more equipment, peripherals, yeah. like the sorts of things that we're working on. Well, yeah, that, that's the other thing is the, the hardware uh, aspect of things. Will there always be kind of this um, disparity, I guess, between really, really good and immersive hardware that you just can't get as a consumer? Or is it going to flip at some point in the next few few years once, you know, the democratization of, of VR and VR peripherals kind of comes through. Yeah, I think, well, I think there's always going to be some sort of disparity, not necessarily in like what you can and can't get your hands on, but mostly in what you do or do not want to experience, right? Like an arcade is about you going in and playing for like an hour, like two hours or whatever, three hours, let's, let's call it that. Yeah. Like when I play video games in my home, sometimes I'm, I'm getting an eight hour session, right? Like I, I can I can go in for a long time. That's how a lot of gamers are. So there are some things, you know, say for instance, we take the example of a gun controller, you would be able to have a more realistic, heavier, higher power, all sort of stuff, um, gun controller in an arcade because you're only gonna play it for an hour and a half or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you're not gonna get worn down, you're not gonna, you know, be super tired by it. But when you're at home, you might want something lighter, um, something that will allow you to play a lot longer without getting fatigued um, so it's a little bit less of an immersive experience but really it's balanced for the type of play that you're doing at home right and plus you have the the ability to try out new games that normally you'd have to pay for outright whereas the arcades generally you know they have the licenses or, or they've already purchased the games right so you can try a bunch and it's almost like window it's, it's like when you go to Best Buy to look at TVs and then you buy it on Amazon or something yeah or... yeah I think that's that's a good point I didn't think about is that you know, people just being able, like, not just for virtual reality, because people are doing it just to try out virtual reality and see if they want it, but also specific experiences in virtual reality. That's an excellent point. Yeah. And I've always been kind of fascinated with this idea of, uh, there's the VR arcades and the general ones, you know, they've got a few Vive setups or a few, a few Oculus things, and you can go in and, you know, load in, say, 15 minutes for, you know, $15 and play an experience or something. And then there's also, these other businesses that have uh, these large arena-style um, environments where mm-hmm. it's like a guided experience of this one thing, you know, like the void or something like that. Um, what do you think the differences are there, I, I guess, with, one, how you're reaching consumers, how you're marketing that? I mean, are, are they really too... To me, they seem, like, really, really different, even though they're both in the VR space. Like, the way you act as a business, the way you interact with customers and what people are going there for seems to be kind of fundamentally different in a way. Yeah, I think that um, when you talk about stuff like um, The Void, and you talk about like Nomadic VR, other uh, um, sort of higher-end um, custom virtual reality s- systems, I think the big thing that they're able to show you is what virtual reality can be. Like, it's kind of like... Um, you know, just showing you the best of the best or, or some variation of something that's better than what you can get in home. And so that may be what virtual reality in your home looks like 10 years from now or 15 years from now um, or, or, you know, less time. But really the arcades that, you know, the regular arcades where it's just the Vive setups and the Oculus setups and the PSVR setups, um, those are kind of like, this is what you could get. Mm-hmm. Like you could, you could get this right now if you wanted to. Um, you're coming here for a variety of different reasons that we we're just talking about, but um, you you can get this. This is like well within your reach. Whereas the um, the more arena style stuff that you're talking about, that's very much like this is this is us putting a lot of effort into solving a very specific problem and making that very specific experience really good. Um, and this is what 
what everything about virtual reality could be. I think those that's a really big difference that I see between them. And the business models are vastly different yeah, as well. Yeah. And there's also, I think, this uh, kind of exclusivity to it. You know, like you can go and play laser tag or paintball in you know, any city in the country, and it, your experience is roughly going to be the same. But if there's only two uh, arena things that are playing this type of Ghostbusters game or this Star Wars experience, then... Um, you know, that gives you a different incentive to go there, right? Or to go there specifically, anyway. Um, and I think that's really interesting moving forward with how larger companies like Disney and, and um, you know, Marvel and whatever try to get into this space. Are they going to, you know, license the, these experiences or uh, the characters and content, I guess, of this experience yeah. to a bunch of one-off places that, you know, that's the hub that you go to if you want to, like, be a superhero. That's the one you go to if you want to be in... Uh, you know, some sort of war scenario with gun shooters and stuff like that. Yeah, that's one of the big things I'm really excited for is, and I kind of talk about it a lot, at least personally, is about the licensed content, about, um, you know, being able to, I'm a big Star Wars guy, uh, being able to kind of get into the Star Wars world and even just the Trials of Tatooine experience where you like have a lightsaber, you're on Tatooine, there's the Millennium Falcon and R2-D2. Like even that, as short of an experience, as limited as an experience it was, it kind of gives you that like feeling of like, this is a magical world essentially yeah. being put into. And I think just because you've, you know, I mean, Star Wars is older than almost twice my age, right? Yeah. So like, it's... It's timeless in a way. Yeah, and you you understand the world and you feel the world and it's something familiar, but it's also something new. And that helps with the immersion a lot, I think. Uh, that actually reminds me, this is not quite arcade related, but um, Disney and I guess Lenovo just launched some or announced some uh, AR partnership where Lenovo will have a headset. They've got this sort of lightsaber uh, <coughs> peripheral and it's this whole experience. I think it's called like Jedi Hero or Jedi Experience, something like that. Um, so that's really exciting that they're playing in that space um, and definitely obviously really excited to see what happens in um, the arena area there. Uh, have a little battle of geonosis or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's like a lot of, you know, we've seen a lot of, just going on the Star Wars thing for a while, a lot of stories and, and other aspects of the universe. It's such a wide universe. And you can pick out little experiences um, and little specific places that virtual reality is really, really good for. And it doesn't have to be that you're playing as, you know, Anakin Skywalker. You can be, um, you know, these little other characters clone troopers or whatever um, you want to be. So I, I think that's really cool. So how do you solve this um, room scale problem then, right? If you have 15, 20, 30, or however many people they, they cram into your typical laser tag um, environment, you know, how do you track people in that space? How do you actually move around? Is, and is, are these arcades really, is the real solution kind of in the AR market where they can still see what's around them and run around, but have this augmented, um, you know, the HUD features and things like that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've always said about augmented reality specifically is that I think it's the, the use cases, uh, in my opinion, are um, very much more oriented towards just everyday life, making life a lot easier. Not necessarily right. for gaming. I think there are some gaming aspects that are it'll be really good for. We've seen some stuff like the Minecraft things, I think like Dungeons mm -hmm. & Dragons, that sort of cool stuff would um, be really good gaming experiences. But for the most part, I think virtual reality really is going to be the, the gaming platform. Mm -hmm. um, for Mostly because you don't need to really interact with the virtual, or the real world, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, 
when you look at large scale environments um, like the void and other things like that, they use kind of a, a big, like not even room scale, you're talking about warehouse scale tracking system uh, using a bunch of cameras, it's super expensive. Uh, well, so it's, it's, it's nothing you can buy stock, right? You can buy it, but you're... Or integrating it, rather. Is yeah, you're going to have to integrate it. It really requires a lot of custom stuff. I mean, that's where that's why those big arena-type experiences are really good, because they put in the effort to develop the content and put it with the tracking technology to have a really nice, cohesive experience. They're not trying to do something... Like, when you look at the Vive or you look at Oculus, they're trying to make technology that will satisfy a huge, you know, wealth of experiences from... Lucky's Tail, which is like, like Crash Bandicoot, essentially, mm-hmm. um, you know, to to like a, a specific like nice shooter, um, really good uh, first person shooter. So it's like that's a really broad range. Whereas you've got these arenas where they can target very specifically, make the best experience out of one. Say it's Ghostbusters, or say it's um, a shooter game, or say it's Warfare uh, uh, game that you're talking about. Um, because they can target that, all their technology is built specifically to and integrated specifically to handle that. So um, there are a lot of different ways they do it. I think one of the big leading companies right now is OptiTrack. They have mm-hmm. an optical um, tracking solution. It's kind of like how motion capture works. Sure. Um, but Valve is working on, as far as I know, they're working on improving the lighthouses in a way that will give them better distance and give them better, um, you know, a, a larger amount of uh, units that you can put into a single space. So I think there are solutions coming from a lot of different places in terms of warehouse scale tracking essentially um especially with the new trackers you you track people's feet and stuff depending on yeah and then you've got the locomotion systems that people always talk about the the omni the um the Wizdish rover um so there's the treadmill sort of things and there's some weird research stuff going on in terms of making people think that they're moving in directions that they're not Mm. and how does that you know how can you use that effectively on on people right and I mean we're work- working in the space as well now um, which is a little new to us I and mean, we've gotten inquiries and we've sort of dealt loosely with arcades for a long time but um, now we've really kind of done a pivot I guess uh, as far as product uh, development goes and reaching consumers um, do you want to talk a little bit about that I guess what we're doing uh, with arcades now and how we're trying to get our technology and our product to to people, you know. Yeah, I think that one of the big things that a lot of companies in, in VR right now, especially on the like lower end, like um, like our sort of company, a third-party hardware company, or our game studios, or even some of the bigger ones like Vive and stuff like that, um, they've started to realize that it is going to um, take time to grow this consumer market, uh, and especially with all the technical challenges and the business challenges, marketing challenges that we all have, it's going to take a lot of time to get just your average everyday human being to buy into virtual reality, at least at the the high scale that we're talking about here. Um, So a lot of just companies, including us, are moving more towards towards business-to-business solutions, at least in the short to midterm, just uh, to use that to build out the market so that we can get to the consumer side. But consumer stuff, consumers are really picky. Mm -hmm. Um, They want, you know... You know, I love love consumers, love our, our customers and everything like that, but a lot of the, the general consumer wants essentially the best product for the lowest price. Mm-hmm. And uh, that may not necessarily be feasible, especially for a company as small as ours or uh, other companies that are you know relatively small. Well, yeah, we were talking about this with, with the guys from Manus as well. I mean, I, I think everybody in this space is running into to this um, 
realization probably in the last year or two that 2016 isn't going to be the year. 2017 is not going to be the year probably. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to take a long time. And there are, there are big people in it like like uh, Bethesda that are you know throwing mm-hmm. their hat in the ring kind of um, that are really going to help. But we all, I think a lot of us are hunkering down to kind of make sure that we can help build that industry while we're um, still building our own companies. And so on our end, we're right now, it, it doesn't change a whole lot. I mean, the products that we're trying to develop are still very similar. Um, it's just who are we pushing those products toward, towards? And what is the price point of those products? What are the technologies that we're putting into them? And so right now we're, we're working on um, gun controllers like we have in the past, um, but specifically targeted towards arcades to satisfy those arcade experiences because that's, um, that's what makes the most sense really at this point in time with all the resources and, and the size of the market and, and the direction that the market is going. Right, absolutely. Um, and so the new product, I guess I'll just say it out there. It's called Ballista, right? We've had it on our website for a little bit, but we haven't talked too much about it publicly. Um, and we're going to be launching that in around September. Um, we're dealing with a lot of arcades right now that are getting some test units. Um, we're kind of building out our, our growth plan there, uh, more specifically here. What are some of the differences between this unit, what we're pushing now, and what we were designing with Athena um, from the yeah. Indiegogo campaign. So actually, I'll kind of flip your question on the head there, and I'll say some of the things that are similar first, I think. Sure, yeah. Which uh, is that we've been able to build upon all of our experiences in the past you know, three or four years um, and continue a lot of the things that we've done, uh, uh, you know, working with game studios to make sure that there's content for the product. That process is very similar. Um, reaching out to um, manufacturers, other things like that, that stuff remains the same. And the core um, experience that we want to make is the same, right? We want to kill the gesture. We want to mm-hmm. make sure that um, you're touching a, a controller that um, functions and feels just like what you're trying to use in the game. Um, and, you know, to that end, we've got still got features like the slide, uh, you know, slide pulls back, um, uh, that sort of thing. The, the gun feels good. It feels, it's got an ergonomic, good mm-hmm. feeling to it. Um, so a lot of those philosophies are stayed really, have really stayed the same and stayed true to what we've been trying to do since we started. Um, some of the differences, uh, yeah, I mean, approaching an arcade uh, market is a little bit different. And so what we're really looking at is a, a higher price point market. I mean, Athena, when you look at Athena, it was very, pretty low. I mean, um, I think that we were talking about selling for $350 essentially for in terms of development costs and, and all that sort of stuff. It's all, all right yeah. um, uh, in terms of profit and things like that, but it's not anything stellar. It's a you know, pretty cheap product um, in terms of cost. Um, but this one is more oriented towards the higher end because you know the arcades can make that balance. Like at the end of the day, a consumer is going, am I going to enjoy this or am I going to not? And an arcade can say, am I going to make money off of this or am I yeah. not? Um, so there's a lot more of a balance. Like if you can spend, you know, um, one or two or three thousand dollars on a system, uh, and if you make four or five or six thousand dollars off of it, you know that that math makes sense. There's very different math for the consumers. So it's at a higher price point, but with that, there are more features. Really, mm-hmm. um, one of the big things is that our recoil technology has gotten a lot better. Um, it's you know. We're solving a lot of the issues of power. We're solving a lot of the issues of um, of the strength of it, 
And so that's one of the big things we've been working on to make sure that feels immersive. Um, one of the other things is that Athena was designed specifically without the tracker. It was this, the idea to be right. use it with um, uh, completely custom Steam VR um, stuff, which was the reason why cost was so high. The reason why the um, uh, the development time was a little long, but the tracker makes that a lot easier. The other thing is that the the idea of the tracker, you know, that technologically can be applied maybe to other platforms. So maybe this product down the line, we'll see what what PlayStation VR is doing. We'll see what Oculus is doing. We'll see what Starbreeze is doing. But maybe the core idea of having a, a separated module is something that they're all interested in. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible that there are absolutely no changes we have to make to this product besides maybe some firmware or some a little bit of software um, to make it work for a whole host variety of different platforms. So I think that's pretty exciting too.